Jane Austen's Emma, Volume 2, Part 5, Chapters 13 through 15. After the conversation with Frank Churchill in the previous chapter, Emma continues to speculate about whether or not she is in love. She finds herself happy, and she enjoyed Frank's visit. On the other hand, she does not seem to mind his absence and is able to continue her regular daily routine without any difficulty. She has a number of imaginary conversations with him in which she envisions his proposing marriage to her, and she always imagines herself refusing his proposal, after which their affection subsides into friendship. Emma is puzzled by these feelings. She says to herself, I do suspect that he is not really necessary to my happiness. So much the better. I certainly will not persuade myself to feel more than I do. I am quite enough in love. I should be sorry to be more. At the same time, she believes that Frank must be more in love with her than she with him, and she wonders whether his feelings might be changeable. In due course, Mrs. Weston receives a long, well-written letter from Frank and shares it with Emma. Reading the letter, Emma takes pleasure in the fact that, quote, the charm of her own name was not wanting. Miss Woodhouse appeared more than once, and never without a something of pleasing connection, either a compliment to her taste or remembrance of what she had said. As she reads further, she discovers that, quote, compressed into the very lowest vacant corner were these words. I had not a spare moment on Tuesday, as you know, for Miss Woodhouse's beautiful little friend. Pray make my excuses and adieus to her. This, Emma could not doubt, was all for herself. Harriet was remembered only from being her friend. End quote. This is a remarkable reaction. You might recall that back when Mr. Elton expressed an interest in Harriet, Emma thought that this was a sign of his love for Harriet. In fact, we know that he was really expressing his affection and admiration for Emma, seeing Harriet only as the product of Emma's efforts. Now, Emma sees Frank Churchill's reference to her beautiful little friend as a compliment to Emma herself. This chapter also reveals something of the way that Highbury occupies itself. Mr. Elton's departure has given way to Frank Churchill's arrival, and now Frank's departure gives way to the anticipated arrival of Mr. Elton and his bride. In chapter 14, we meet the long-awaited Mrs. Elton at last. She is naturally the topic of conversation, and everyone must pay visits to the Eltons, both from curiosity and from their social obligations. Emma and Harriet pay a visit as well, and there is an amusing observation when Austin writes that Emma, quote, considered how peculiarly unlucky poor Mr. Elton was in being in the same room at once with the woman he had just married, the woman he had wanted to marry, and the woman whom he had been expected to marry, end quote. This is an insightful reflection on Mr. Elton's peculiar circumstances. He had wanted to marry Emma, she had wanted him to marry Harriet, and he's there with his wife, the former Miss Hawkins. 
what is Mrs. Elton like? The narrator tells us that Emma spends a quarter of an hour with Mrs. Elton and, quote, and the quarter of an hour quite convinced her that Mrs. Elton was a vain woman, extremely well satisfied with herself and thinking much of her own importance, that she meant to shine and be very superior, but with manners which had been formed in a bad school, pert and familiar, that all her notions were drawn from one set of people and one style of living, that if not foolish, she was ignorant, and that her society would certainly do Mr. Elton no good, end quote. Later on, Emma observes that, quote, the rich brother-in-law near Bristol was the pride of the alliance, and his place and his carriages were the pride of him. The very first subject after being seated was Maple Grove, my brother Mr. Suckling's seat, a comparison of Hartfield to Maple Grove, end quote. Austin certainly had a sense of humor in naming them the Sucklings, Mrs. Elton compares everything to Maple Grove, which is where she had lived previously. Mrs. Elton clearly enjoys hearing herself talk and frequently mentions her brother-in-law's elegant carriage, a Barouche Landau, which is a four-wheeled carriage with a collapsible roof, a pleasure vehicle for touring and very much for show. And Mrs. Elton mentions the phrase Barouche Landau at least four times in each paragraph. Mrs. Elton also rather affectedly refers to her husband as Mr. E and also her caro sposo, the Italian for dear husband. It's interesting to point out that some editions of the novel wrote this in different ways. The first edition of 1815 had cara sposo, a feminine form of the adjective with the masculine noun, and other editions had it as cara sposa, which is doubly feminized and literally means dear wife. The editor of Jane Austen's novels corrected her Italian, but some Austen scholars believe that Austen made these so-called mistakes deliberately as a way of highlighting Mrs. Elton's combination of ignorance and pretentiousness. Summing up, the impressions of Mrs. Elton that are expressed in this chapter are as follows, some of which we have already mentioned. She is vain. She talks a great deal, more for her own benefit than others. She comes from a very wealthy family. Her brother-in-law, Mr. Suckling, has great wealth and status. He's the pride of the alliance. But note again the reference to Bristol, a center of the slave trade. This is a strong hint that their wealth was accumulated through the slave trade. She makes repeated references to the Baroche Landau, a very fashionable carriage with a fold-down roof and sides. Mrs. Elton is astonished to find Mrs. Weston, Emma's former governess, to be so very ladylike, which greatly offends Emma. Mrs. Elton refers to her husband as Mr. E, or her carosposo, a very affected way of speaking. And Mrs. Elton refers to Mr. Knightley as Knightley, which offends Emma, and we'll have more to say about this in a moment. Emma regards her as an upstart, vulgar being. Mrs. Elton also refers to Jane Fairfax as Jane Fairfax, not the more correct Miss Fairfax. 
Strange as it may seem to us, first names were for intimates only. So Mrs. Elton is being very presumptuous here. Recall that Emma still refers to Mr. Knightley as Mr. Knightley, despite their long and close friendship. The use of first names was not done unless one was on extremely intimate terms with another, which Mrs. Elton obviously is not with Jane Fairfax. The use of the last name form, that is referring to Mr. Knightley as Knightley, was really only done by men who are friends and social equals. So here, Mrs. Elton is doubly in the wrong. She is using a form of address that is only used by men, and she is treating him as a social equal, which he decidedly is not. Later, Frank Churchill is also offended by her too familiar use of Jane. Mrs. Elton's presumption of intimacy is yet another sign of her ill breeding. But she's a bride, and we can't help but notice Mr. Woodhouse's feeling that he was deficient not to have paid his respects to her earlier. This is a clear but subtle implication that Frank Churchill should have paid his respects to Mrs. Weston. Emma just cannot get over Mrs. Elton. She keeps saying to herself, quote, insufferable woman, worse than I had supposed, absolutely insufferable, a little upstart vulgar being with her Mr. E and her Cara Sposo and her resources and all her airs of pert pretensions and underbred finery, actually to discover that Mr. Knightley is a gentleman and Mrs. Weston astonished that the person who had brought me up should be a gentlewoman. Worse and worse. I never met with her equal, much beyond my hopes. Harriet is disgraced by any comparison. End quote. In other words, despite the difference in social station, she feels that Harriet is much less vulgar than Mrs. Elton with all her money. Chapter 15 features a confirmation of Emma's first impression of Mrs. Elton based on a second meeting. Emma finds Mrs. Elton to be, quote, self-important, presuming, familiar, ignorant, and ill-bred. She had a little beauty and a little accomplishment, but so little judgment that she thought herself coming with superior knowledge of the world to enliven and improve a country neighborhood. There was no reason to suppose Mr. Elton thought at all differently from his wife. He seemed not merely happy with her, but proud. He had the air of congratulating himself on having brought such a woman to Highbury as not even Miss Woodhouse could equal, end quote. So we see that Mr. Elton has sunk lower in Emma's esteem as a result of having married such a vulgar upstart woman and apparently being proud of her. The Elton's behavior toward Emma begins to change, too. At first, Mrs. Elton is presumptuous, and proposes all sorts of things that she and Emma can do together, such as starting a musical club in order to bring culture to Highbury. But when Emma does not embrace these proposals, Mrs. Elton begins to treat her coolly, and the Eltons become openly, quote, sneering and negligent, end quote, toward Harriet, snubbing her repeatedly. Mrs. Elton decides that she is going to take Jane Fairfax under her wing, being aware of Jane's talents and accomplishments, as well as her difficult life situation. 
She keeps saying to Emma that we must exert ourselves and endeavor to do something for her. We must bring her forward. Such talent as hers must not be suffered to remain unknown. Despite Emma's conflicted feelings toward Jane, she says to herself, Poor Jane Fairfax, you have not deserved this. The kindness and protection of Mrs. Elton. Jane Fairfax and Jane Fairfax. Heavens, let me not suppose that she dares go about Emma Woodhousing me. But upon my honor, there seems no limit to the licentiousness of that woman's tongue. The correct form of address, as we noted previously, would be Miss Woodhouse and Miss Fairfax. Toward the end of the chapter, there is a conversation among Emma, Mrs. Weston, and Mr. Knightley, whose subject includes Jane Fairfax. We might recall Mrs. Weston's theory about Mr. Knightley's being in love with Jane Fairfax, but when asked about this, Mr. Knightley says that he has already heard a hint of this rumor from Mr. Cole, but that, quote, Miss Fairfax, I dare say, would not have me if I were to ask her, and I am very sure I shall never ask her. End quote. Emma replies in part, Upon my word, I have not the smallest wish for your marrying Jane Fairfax or Jane anybody. You would not come in and sit with us in this comfortable way if you were married. Although Emma has received confirmation that Mr. Knightley is not interested in marrying Jane Fairfax, she reveals here her wish that he would not marry because it would change the relationship she has with him. <laughs> 